This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live. We're at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online, too, at kpcg.fm, and a live link at thetrumpet.com if you prefer to listen there. Today is Thursday. I'm Dwight Falk, and Grant Turgeon is here today. On uh, Today is one of those strange days for us, weather-wise, where it started out okay, fairly warm, but it's going to get colder all day. So I, I checked the weather, and then I warned my wife. I said, dress the kids appropriately. Because my son's at that age where, for some reason, he despises coats, and he doesn't want to wear them. Uh, and uh, But today's the day you're going to need a coat. And so I didn't want him to come and say, well, it's fine, though. I don't need a coat. No, no, no. Recess hits, you're going to want that coat. Today is such a strange day because this morning I went outside around 6 o'clock, and it was 60 degrees, no wind. It was downright pleasant, and yet now... It's like the opposite of how it usually is. Once it gets lighter out now, it's it's really cold. It's not usually that way. Yeah, I was here this morning uh, earlier, and uh, I, I w- went right when the wind came through, I think, to get the cold front started. And it was a very particular moment. I really heard it here at the studio. I was like, what is that? Shaking the sides <laughs> yeah. of the building. <laughs> that wind came whipping through. So California's still having their problems with that mudslide. Uh, 17 dead, that's the latest number. And... Uh, I guess still looking for some people. So anyway, quite a serious situation there, and there'll be a lot of cleanup. I wonder what the cost will be for that, to clean up all that destruction, all that mud. you got to, I guess, bring in some bulldozers and some other heavy equipment to get that stuff out of there. Yeah, like you said, it would be really heavy stuff to try to shovel up unless, and you'd have to do that if it were inside of a house. You couldn't bring a bulldozer in there. That That's why it gets pretty difficult. That mud would just tend to go everywhere you don't want it to go it'd be pretty hard to clean that yeah i wonder if i guess it would depend on the damage but in some cases you probably would just have to tear a house down mm. it'd just be so caked with mud i don't maybe they can clean it I don't yeah know. like in houston with the floods i'm sure they had to just demolish a lot of those houses if yeah. you if you have water getting into everything that's going to cause a huge mold problem too and then it's the same with a mudslide there's a lot of water involved with that so a lot of parts of your house are going to start basically rotting because of all the water. Right, yeah. It uh, it would just cause a lot of destruction. So it would be very interesting to see what happens there in California. But they've had their uh, issues. Here is a story that's uh, kind of interesting. It's from Seattle. Uh, Seattle attempts to impose a morality, impose morality, sorry, with ridiculously high taxes on sugary drinks. Seattle has decided to impose a 1.75 cent per ounce tax on all sugary beverages within the city with the hopes of raising a $15 million revenue stream that it will use for programs to help people have better access to fresh fruits and vegetables, as Seattle Station reported. The price of Gatorade Frost Variety Pack at Costco, which is usually $15.99, with this additional $10.34 tax, oh. shot the price up to $26.33, leaving customers with sticker shock. So I guess my, my big takeaway on this is, well, that's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I get that those drinks aren't good for you and they cause some problems. And it's nice that they want to get people more fresh fruits and vegetables. But aren't we the same people here that are giving marijuana or selling <laughs> marijuana to people? I mean, that's my, my thought. Like, yes, sugary drinks are not good for you, but they're legalizing addictive brain-altering drugs at the same time. So we're trying. We're kind of like, uh, like they say here, we're imposing our own morality. Don't drink the sugary drink, or if you do, it's going to cost you, but you can go buy marijuana. 
that's pretty convenient of them, isn't it, to just pick a battle that's easiest to win. Uh, marijuana is addictive. Sugary drinks are a lot less addictive. It's not as hard to fight back against something like that. And this also fits into the trend of just um, the left being really, really anti-business. Seattle's about as left-wing as you can go. And when you impose taxes like that, you're going to make businesses flee the state or at least hate to sell things in your state. I mean, it's like they're just trying to put the drink companies out of business. That's just a terrible uh a terrible way to have a relationship with businesses in your state uh and and that's just um it, it just seems like uh, most other states would gladly take that extra business if if Seattle's going to be pushing them out really uh really bizarre in a way I, I mean I do it would be nice to have more fresh fruits and vegetables of course and all that but but again just sort of seems like hypocrisy when uh the drugs are being pushed <laughs> so anyway kind of an interesting note there so if you're in Seattle and you're looking for a sugary drink you're going to pay the piper. Well, America's uh, great just because you have access to everything, and then it just comes down to your personal discipline, how much of something you have or whether you choose to have it. It, it shouldn't be the government imposing whether you eat healthy or not. I mean, that's that's like with Michelle Obama's initiative with ch- the meals at school. I mean, it, it sounds nice to regulate what people eat, but uh, that, then you start getting control over every aspect of people's lives. Then, you, then you're not building any character by making choices for yourself. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting there. I wonder if it's going to affect Starbucks. That's a sugary drink, depending on what you put in it. So I don't know if they're going <laughs> to tax that. Now their the Frappuccino own, will cost like $300. Their own company. They, <laughs> they would attack their own Seattle-born company. Yeah, that's really just uh, interesting the way that... People just kind of decide what's right and what's wrong. Uh, here's a big story today. This will be interesting to see what kind of uh, traction this gets. It's kind of out there on the major news sites. It originated at Project uh, Veritas. Undercover video, Twitter engineers to ban a way of talking through shadow banning, algorithms to censor opposing political opinions. So they did this undercover video, and they talked to some Twitter engineers about what goes on at Twitter, and this is what some of them said. This one Twitter engineer explains in this video how shadow banning works, saying it's uh, going to ban a way of talking. Former Twitter software engineer on shadow banning said they just think, in other words, people using Twitter, they just think that no one is engaging with their content when in reality no one is seeing it. A former Twitter content review agent said, uh, explaining the process, said, if it was a pro-Trump thing and I'm anti-Trump, I banned his whole account. It's at your discretion. And they said <laughs> if it was an unwritten rule, they uh, they said, well, yeah, it's unwritten, but, uh, uh, you know, we all kind of knew what to do. It was never written. It was more said, they said. And they said, um, another person said, we're trying to downrank uh, people that they don't agree with to not show up. We're working that on that right now. So here's a situation where whether it's Twitter or Facebook, they do their own thing too. Uh, you have a couple of gatekeepers for information. And everybody can throw information into it, but people are deciding what gets popular and what doesn't. And this is coming out more and more as they investigate. Project Veritas is really just, uh, it's just so amazing how they are able to infiltrate, whether it's an abortion clinic or CNN or Twitter or whatever it is, they, they're always getting in there and finding things. And um, it surprises me every single time 
how all these people are so willing to just talk with someone they've just met for the first time. I mean, they have someone go in there. Um, supposedly, the people from Twitter have never met him in their entire lives. He has a hidden camera on him. And they just start talking about this stuff as if it's no big deal, as if it shouldn't even be kept a secret from someone they've never met before. I mean, you'd think at some point these these big companies or, or these uh, institutions would learn uh, not to be so free with, with that type of information. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. It almost seems like there's sort of a braggadocia about it. Like, yeah, we can control the information. And we don't care who knows. Sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll ban what we don't like. We'll downrank you to where you don't show up. And if we don't agree with your political viewpoint, we'll make it disappear. So that's the danger. See, that's the danger in probably the way uh, information and communication is going. It, it's always been that way. I mean, whether it's a newspaper or magazine, people have a, a leaning one way or the other. But typically you'd have one that was pretty liberal, one that was more conservative, and people would kind of pick and choose. And, uh, and now... All information is kind of getting funneled through a few main things. The independent uh, papers and that type of thing are sort of dying out. And so you've got gatekeepers now that are pushing content. Uh, what does Google do? You know, there's some question about that as well. So I, there's this idea out there, I think, that you know anybody can put information out there. And, hey, if people like it, it's going to become popular. Well, you know, maybe. Maybe if you put up a picture of a cat, <laughs> nobody cares about that. But when it comes to politics or it comes to news or it comes to opinion um, if they don't like it the gatekeepers don't like it you won't be seen and those are soviet style tactics i mean it's it's to the point where conservatives are afraid to even say anything that that guy james damore who put out that memo at google about the biological differences between men and women and then got fired for it actually mentioned that there's like a conservative underground at, at google they meet in private they don't tell anybody about how they meet and what they talk about because uh, they don't want to get fired for it. That's just how left-wing Google is, uh, Facebook, Twitter. very They've shown to be very clearly far-left biased, and people are afraid to even come out against something like that for fear of losing their jobs or, or just being ostracized and having their life ruined if if it's not their job that's up up for play here. Yeah, yeah you'd have to almost go underground if you don't agree with the main thinking. <laughs> Uh, this one individual, he's a Twitter direct messaging engineer. He was talking about machine learning algorithms. He said, you have like 5,000 keywords to describe a redneck, and the majority of it are for Republicans. <laughs> so they're going to just kind of lump you in. You know, if you say something that they don't agree with, well, you're a, you're a redneck or you're a, you know, something like that. So they are, they're looking at what people are tweeting, and they're kind of categorizing them and say, you're going to be over here, you're going to be over there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if nobody wants to be a redneck, right? That's not, that's, I don't think that's a thing people want to be. Some people, I guess, maybe do, but it, it has a negative connotation to it. And uh, so anyway, that's that's the world we live in with all this information that's going around out there. And like you said, um, it is sort of a Soviet-style tactics. We're not sort of. I mean, that's exactly what it is. If you look at any dictatorial regime, uh, what do they control first? It's usually the media because... Uh, they can't have an opposing opinion out there. You can't run against Vladimir Putin successfully, <laughs> unless he, you know, you sign, maybe maybe he works it out ahead of time. Like, yeah, go ahead and run against me and whatever. But uh, you know, those people stay in power. You know, China they don't open up the entire internet. They block things. They lock things down. As soon as Iran had a revolution, they shut down a lot of the internet for people. So um, it's not shut down here 
in the term in the sense that you can still go to Twitter, but what you're going to see on Twitter, uh, a lot of that is being censored or pushed down, so you don't see it. And the worst part is technically Twitter is allowed to do this because it is their platform, it is their business. They can muzzle whomever they want to, but why can't they just be honest that that's what they're doing? Why can't they be open about? The fact that they clearly only want people with a left-wing point of view on their platform. What's been happening a lot with Twitter lately? Well, they've been called Twitter mobs because anytime someone says something that's out of the mainstream, uh, people get stirred up to attack them, to contact businesses through social media, and make sure that that person gets fired or doesn't get any more um, advertising deals or whatever the situation might be. I mean, Twitter is, is becoming kind of like uh the soviet style police like people are getting tracked down if they have a different point of view and punished for it yeah and the scary thing too i guess is if you are a branded sort of a, a person that twitter doesn't like um everyone's gonna know about it you know <laughs> you know you, you, there's a couple of stories even recently here about different uh teens killing themselves because they were bullied online i don't know all the details but uh, not that it should ever come to that, of course, but whatever. It was a bad situation. and uh, But it does just, I think, highlight the power of when people want to get at you, they can get at you. You know, if, if some group of people deems that you're somebody to go after or to, to uh, um, you know, belittle in some way, they can do it very effectively and they can spread that message yeah. uh, very quickly. Yeah, and, and like every time I've heard of someone getting banned on Twitter for however long it's been. It has been a conservative. I mean, it's it's people who say something about a radical ideology threatening a nation or or making a very valid parallel or analogy like that, and they get banned for it, and yet you have people on the left overtly threatening people, saying that they're going to kill people, and it's almost like Twitter tre- treats it as, oh, they're just joking. That's not That's not something that we take seriously. It's not... It, it does directly violate our terms of agreement, but we think they're joking, so we're not actually going to act on it. I mean, the bias is so clear, and it is very frustrating just to just to see that, but they won't admit their bias. I mean, it's just like a lot of these media outlets, they pretend to be down the middle when it's very clear they're not. You would just appreciate it if at, at some point they would admit where their bias is. Yeah, Mr. Stephen Flurry brought that up on the Trump Daily Show a while ago, a couple of days ago, about this this anti-Trump book that I think Michael Wolf wrote, and and it is just you know a lot of fabrications. It seems like I haven't read it, nor nor will I. I'm just not interested. But um, but you know, even in the interviews where people were talking about the book, they said, well, it may not be exactly true, but but yeah, overall, it gives you a decent. And, and Mr. Stephen Flurry made the point, well, look at the way they re- the media responds to that versus what if somebody wrote a book about President Obama, you know, the same way. They would have been outraged. The person that wrote it would instantly, of course, been a racist. They would have been this. They would have been that. It's just a matter of what the media wants you to say. You know, it's so, it's so funny. You just And anybody that goes on any of those uh, shows, you feel like they should just say so what do you want me to say like give me the notes so i can agree <laughs> with your preconceived ideas because there's no there's no uh you know investigative reporting it's just we, we want to prove our point and even if somebody writes a book that's pretty sorted and doesn't seem to have a lot of facts uh yeah that that agrees with what we think so therefore we'll promote it and that's the direct definition of will worship just following whatever your feelings tell you to believe and that's that's even warned about in the Bible, that's a spiritual influence that people are just going right along with. I mean, you're right. If they did write a book like that about Barack Obama, the 
they would they would go into a complete meltdown. They would pick out every little piece of information that has not been verified by ten different named sources, not people who are anonymous, unnamed sources. They would they would really tear that thing apart and say, well. Where's your journalistic integrity? Just because it's a different person and you happen to disagree with this person as opposed to this person, why should the journalistic standards be so drastically lowered? It was the same thing with that dossier that Hillary Clinton paid for from the Russians, that it, it was just all a total smear against President Trump. And they've used that fake dossier for the last year as the basis of their investigation uh, of collusion supposedly between President Trump and the Russians. So they all know it's a fake dossier, and yet because they don't like President Trump, they can still investigate him for it. They can still call for his impeachment just because a fake document said some bad things about him. It's just beyond comprehension at this point. Right, and that's where you kind of think, well, okay, but who's the like who's going to step in and be the ultimate authority in the law to say this is the law of the land? by the constitution and this is everyone's going to follow this law you don't you just don't have anybody doing that you just have people kind of interpreting it judges ah ban this don't ban that it's it's getting pretty unnerving i think in a lot of ways just no no ability for anyone to be objective it reminds me of like if you're at a sporting event and there's like a replay shown on the big screen the fans are always going to boo if the call didn't go the, the way that they're that they wanted it to go for their team even though the replay shows so clearly, yeah, the referees were correct on this call. There's no discussion here, but they'll boo anyway because they want their team to win. And it's the same thing here where you have Democrats and people on the left just throwing a tantrum because their presidential candidate didn't succeed in the election. I mean, they're, for, for over a year now, they're, they're still chasing this fake news, fake scandal. It, when does it ever end? When can you just set aside your disagreements with the president and realize he won the election legitimately. Let's stop trying to write books to smear him that that don't have any true stories in them. I mean, it, at some point, you do have to put a stop to this type of nonsense. Related to that, uh, Jay Leno, you remember him? He was uh, the uh, comedian, and then he was the host of the, the Late Show for many years. And uh, he was he had an interview recently. He opens up about the depressing nature of late night today. <laughs> I don't I don't stay up late enough to watch late night <laughs> shows, but uh, some people do. And they asked him, what do you think of how late night has evolved to cover the Trump administration? And he said late night has always been pretty topical. The only trouble is now everyone has the same topic. It's all depressing Trump stuff. He says, you don't really watch late night TV to get away from reality anymore. Now it's more in your face. You laugh, but then you go to bed going, oh, man, the world is really pretty rough. And he said, and it's not it's not uh, one man that causes all of these problems. So I don't think he's necessarily pro-Trump. Maybe he is. I don't know. No, he's he's not. But uh, <laughs> I don't know much about his politics. But but I think he brings out an interesting point that it's everything's negative, which it is, even though they're laughing about it, but it's very negative. And everybody has the same topic. And he said when he was doing it, not that it was ever great probably, but it was more like general humanity issues. Like somebody did something, but, well, you know, that's that's what people do. And now it's like one person is the worst person ever, and we must vilify him at every turn. And um, people used to kind of want to watch some of those shows to just laugh and kind of relax. And now it's more of the same, just it's the the marching orders, just go after the president. That's right. And Jay Leno, whenever he was doing that job, he 
he definitely made jokes uh, of a political nature occasionally. He he mixed them in there sometimes, but they were good natured. They they didn't clearly reveal his personal feelings on the subject. The way it is now, these these guys say a joke with a smile on their face, but the look in their eyes shows that they're actually furious about what they're talking about. They can't even hide it anymore. Uh, if you feel that strongly about an issue, it might be nice to avoid joking about it because everyone can see you're not really joking. You're saying things in all seriousness and trying to mask it as a joke, and it's not working, especially someone like Stephen Colbert. He believes every word of what he's saying. He's very serious about... Uh, you know, disrespecting the president every night just because you say it's a joke doesn't mean it actually is, uh, because he actually means it. That's obvious. Yeah, and I think what's happening, just from my observations, and I haven't seen a whole lot of these shows, but I think there are maybe one or two of those type of hosts. Or if you look at the media more broadly, there's more people that probably aren't. They don't feel the way. They're not as against what's happening, or, or say they're not as uh, left wing as they're trying to portray themselves because it's a bully system to where if you're not on board and you're not following the agenda then maybe your ratings suffer or people start to say hey what do you think though you know are you a closet conservative or something and they can't do that so there is some of them that i think probably don't even want to touch these subjects or don't care or or maybe they don't feel that way but they're being bullied into it 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 appears to be and that's a i don't know that's probably always been the condition of mankind but uh, there's just a lot of bullying going on. And and there's not too many people that will stand up and say, I don't agree with, you know, the direction you're going. Not, And not that it has to be all political necessarily, but just the general direction of, say, the, the media in the country and what they're pushing and the things they push. If you stand up and say, I don't agree with that, you're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are going to be blacklisted. Well, again, that's part of that culture of fear where people who lean to the right politically or religiously uh, do have to go underground. They have to hide those those points of view i don't know if you saw that picture with like the 15 or 20 current late night hosts they were all posing for a picture and holding like their drink of choice Mm -hmm. whatever it was and uh you could go through the whole the whole picture and look at all those guys and all of them if if you had to pick what their ideology is you'd have to say it's pretty far left if they've ever given any indication of any sort of political feelings it's on the left what do you have to be a leftist to be funny is that a requirement or is this part of you know the media's i guess the different television stations trying to control the minds of the people by putting these people out front trying to influence people's minds and in some cases uh they're um they're well they're they're good on television that's why they're there at least on some level and they're convincing and because it's a joke that you never have to get into any real depth of anything you can just make fun and then a lot of people will form their opinions based upon that. But I think if you took a lot of these guys and really, you know, kind of put their feet to the fire and said, okay, what do you, do you actually know what you're talking about here? Can you actually prove this? They don't, I don't think they could. I think it's, it's, it's very easy to just take shots at people and, and you don't really have to have your facts straight. You can just, you know, make fun. And there is a power in that because nobody wants to be made fun of. And so if you don't agree, now you're a target and you're going to be mocked as well. So that's a powerful tool uh, the mockery because nobody wants to be under that that uh, limelight that's very true and it's something that republicans have had to deal with for several decades now it's it's gotten pretty far to the left in terms of who gets made fun of i mean even even and we've talked about this before even when bill clinton was getting made fun of for his infidelity 
it it was like they were trying to joke it away and make it as if what he did wasn't as bad as what it really was. And of course, they never touched on the rape allegations. They just talked about the consensual affair that he had. So, I mean, even even there when they have like the greatest gold mine of material you could ever ask for from a president, they don't even hardly use it. I and mean, it just it just shows that there's a bias there. It's almost like these guys are being orchestrated that like they are taking marching orders like you said. It's as if people are literally telling them, "Here's what you need to joke about tonight because in the end, it's not really joking since so many people in this country who lean left actually look to you for real news. I mean, that's that's the sad reality of it is that if you if you ask a lot of people who who identify as liberal or Democrats, a lot of them take their news from like the Daily Show, especially when uh, what was that John Stewart mm-hmm. was in charge of it or he was the host of it. People actually a, a wide swath of people took news from his comedy show. Right. Yeah, I saw a good interview with him where they were asking him about that, and he said, well, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just a comedian. Yeah, well, yeah, but... You're kidding about stuff that people on the left like a whole lot, though. That's yeah. The, that's the thing. And it's one of those things where I don't, you know, it's not like, probably I'm sure that people aren't getting exact written orders, like at the, the Twitter case, you know, but everyone knows the temperature in the room. You know that, uh, oh, we shouldn't joke about that, or this is what we should joke about. I mean, I know that. <laughs> I'm not in the mix with any of those things, but <laughs> if all of a sudden they put me up on stage in front of the nation and said, you have to do something, and, and if and, uh, and if I wanted to gain the favor of the media, I know exactly what I would have to do. <laughs> Nobody's told me that, but you get the message loud and clear. You've got to go with their agenda and their thinking. It's uh, really uh, interesting with uh, all that's happening with social media and comedy and so on and so forth. Definitely uh, messages are getting sent. Here's a story that uh, is going to be near and dear to your heart, Grant. You're a trendsetter, per usual. Uh, from Market Watch, Warren Buffett prefers flip phones. Yes. And he's not alone. He's really rich, by the way, too. They say Buffett isn't alone in this. About 510 million flip phones were shipped worldwide in 2016, down from 543 million the year before. Smartphone shipments were triple that number at about $1.47 billion. So, of course, there's more smartphones. But uh, people are some people are really liking the flip phones. Jim Thatcher, an assistant professor of urban studies at the University of Washington, Tacoma, didn't replace his smartphone when it broke. Instead, uh, and only because his spouse and daughter's school needed to be able to reach him in an emergency, he switched to a flip phone. He's, the switch has been therapeutic for Thatcher. He responds to emails more slowly and is less attuned to the news now. He also doesn't check his phone if he gets bored. And he's more purposeful about how he uses his time. He says, I'm more focused on the immediate world around me, whether it's observational or introspective. It also gives him more control over the data that he shares, which is another big plus for him. Smartphones may seem great for productivity and answering work emails on the go, but they actually hurt the average employee's efficiency during the workday, would you believe? Three-quarters of employers... Uh, say two or more hours of the day are lost in productivity, partly due to texting, social media, and email, and of course, phone calls, according to a survey conducted for Job Site Career Builder. More than 80% of workers have a smartphone in view during the day. We're not just attached, we're addicted, said Jim Roberts. He's a professor of marketing in the Hankamer School of Business at Baylor University in Texas. Uh, He wrote the book, Shiny Objects, Why We Spend Money We Don't Have in Search of Happiness We Can't Buy. Sounds like an interesting book. (laughs) 
He said we can't resist the call of our smartphones. And uh, so a lot of people are saying, I'm going to go back to the old flip, including yourself. Yes, yes. And that's the main reason to do it is because if people still need to contact you, you still you still want to be available to a certain extent. So it is nice to be able to be reached by text or phone call. But yeah, the rest of that, it's uh, quite a time waster. And uh, sometimes you just find yourself scrolling through it for no reason. And in the back of your mind, you have these responsibilities that you know you have to get to. And you're trying to break away from the smartphone, but you're like, I just, I'll just read one more article quickly, and then I'll get to it. it it's it's uh, quite liberating to, to be free of something like that, I think. Well, and there are phones out there that will give you the basics. You know, like you said, texting, phone calls, and emails even. And limited web access, but it's not the immediacy of the smartphone. And so those, those companies are doing okay. I think Jitterbug is one phone that they sell at Best Buy they were talking about in the article. And there's a few others. A lot of them actually are being sold to older people because they don't want all the other stuff and they just want to be able to hit the big button and have it do something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's funny because I was looking at I was kind of perusing those. I'm like, that looks like a pretty decent phone. But I was kind of embarrassed because they're like, you know, it was all for the elderly. Like, do I want an elderly phone though? I'm not elderly yet. <laughs> yeah, they they do. Uh, a lot of these these phones are are treated like they're ancient relics, and so people just don't want to buy them sometimes. But I mean, it, it does save an unbelievable amount of time if you have the ability to break away from the smartphone. If if uh, your situation allows it, I would definitely recommend it. Yep, I've still got I've got mine. I can't get rid of it for a while, even if I want to, because I have my contract. But mm. um. But I am. What I am trying to do now is, uh, after dinner, basically, I'm done with it. Like I just put it away and I don't even think about it. And there is that pull to like, what am I going to do now, though? <laughs> so sometimes, a lot, a lot of times, I'll actually read a book, which is nice. So uh, play catch with your son in the icy cold tonight. <laughs> yes, it'd be too cold and too windy. But uh, but yeah, there is more that we can do with our time, and it is interesting if we stop. At least for me. And I think a lot of people are this way. If I stop and I just think about all the things I need to do and it can seem kind of busy, a lot of it I don't have to do. Like, I don't have to check the internet. I don't have to do these things, but I just, I don't know, I guess I want to or I feel compelled to or something. (laughs) But there's a lot of that stuff that just doesn't have to happen. And I guess one of the reasons it's kind of maybe addictive is that it's easy. And it's just kind of, you can kind of go on like autopilot and shut down your brain a little bit and just look at stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, you feel like maybe you're doing something, but you're, but you're really, you're really, you're really just like, you feel like, well, no, I'm doing something, but, but now you're just kind of being lazy. Yeah. Like, especially if you're, if you, uh, are checking emails or if you think you're reading important news updates, those types of things, they do have the allure or like, I guess the like the feeling that you're doing something really productive, but yeah, it does. It doesn't have to be done. Um, especially, especially on a smartphone. I mean, there's always a computer to do it on. So you don't have to have the, the supercomputer in your pocket at all times. At least that definitely has helped me. Yep. There's a lot of write-ups on the trumpet.com now about some of these, uh, some of these creators of social media and some of these other things. Um, and showing just how really it is addictive and causing a lot of problems. So much so that the inventors of it don't use it. <laughs> that should tell you something. Here, drink this, but I won't drink it. <laughs> you first. Uh, we, we were talking yesterday uh, about some of the um, animals in Australia. Well, it was the other day. Those flying foxes that were dying, those big bats. And we were just mentioning how there's so many 
crazy animals in Australia. <laughs> so this one caught my interest. A driver in Australia spots a venomous red-bellied black snake hissing at him through his car window. That's a fine how do you do. An Australian man experienced the fright of his life recently after a venomous snake scaled his car window as he drove home from the mechanic. Uh, the man was traveling on the New South Wales South Coast Wednesday when he spotted a black red-bellied snake slithering alongside his car, uh, on the car. He said the reptile had slithered from the hood of his car and wrapped itself around the side mirror, looking in and hissing at him. Ooh. Yeah, the window shut, thankfully. <sighs> he uh, eventually pulled over and called his one of his coworkers who came and removed the snake with a broom. <laughs> They put the pictures up on uh, Facebook. So you're in Australia, of course, driving down the road. And what do you expect to see? A venomous snake hissing at you through the window. Uh, just and and coming after you while you're driving. It's it's able to to hold on to the vehicle <laughs> and, and threaten you while you're inside. I mean, that's just oh, I, I would never want to experience something like that. That does sound like one of the fake animals that they always tell you about when you go over there. Like. Uh, I mentioned the hoop snake the other day. They they actually tell you, they tell all people who are visiting that there's like a hoop snake. It, it forms itself into like a tire basically, and then it can roll down the hill <laughs> to catch up to you yeah. if you're running away from it. So uh, I, I'm I'm sure that this snake is probably actually even scarier than that though. Oh man, well it's kind of funny because whenever an animal like kind of causes you trouble and it's not your you didn't do anything to it, it is always sort of an affront you're like what what's your problem i know just get off the car so vicious <laughs> that happened not with the snake but it happened years ago when i was driving actually here on this uh, campus and uh there was geese and i had my window down and the thing hissed at me and i thought well co- <laughs> i didn't do anything i was i was quite offended <laughs> by the goose because he hissed at me for no no apparent reason the same sort of thing here where it's like well Listen, snake, if you don't like it, just get off the car. I'm not keeping you here. The thing was just just vicious. So anyway, they got rid of it, but uh, thankfully it wasn't inside the car. But you bring up a good point. It would be so distracting while you're driving. I mean, you could get into an accident, so mm-hmm. that it could be quite dangerous. It really could. I mean, that's, that's obviously not something that you want uh, to ever have to experience. It's also funny they had to call somebody to, to come help him out. Like, could he not go through the passenger door or something? Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder why he maybe maybe just didn't have anything to deal with it because the thing was venomous. So oh. I don't know. I guess you would. <laughs> yeah, you know. Thankfully, he didn't like try to speed up or start swerving <laughs> to like throw the thing off the car. You know. Yeah, if it's wrapped around that that side view mirror, it's probably not coming off anyway. No, it's it's there. The the craziest story I ever heard was about, and I assume it's true, was somebody was driving and they had the window down and their arm on the side, and a, a, a like a hawk or something came down and latched onto its arm. <laughs> thought it was a, something to eat and wouldn't let go a forearm does look, look delicious i'm yeah. sure to a lot of animals it's just a nice chunk of meat right there so the the guy had to go into he pulled over into a gas station he went in the store with the bird attached to his arm and was trying to like get it off Can you imagine that you know you're working at wherever 7-eleven also this guy comes in with like an eagle do you really have to take it in my store this yeah. thing's going to destroy get everything that, get that pet out of here and he's like no i can't it's not you know you'd be trying to explain it people wouldn't go get what you're talking about you could so. you think you could stay outside and like at least slam it against the wall instead of 
bring it inside for it to fly everywhere. Well, that would be tricky, too, because people would see it and think you're just killing a bird, and they'd be like, what's this guy doing? How dare you abuse wildlife? Abusing it, and then you'd have to explain, like, no, it came after (laughs) me. It attacked me for no reason. And the story seems unreal, you know, unbelievable, so it would be hard to prove it. (laughs) Animal. When animals attack. Isn't that a show? When animals attack. It probably is. The reason I don't put my arm out the window is because I get get sunburned even if it's, like, 40 degrees. So, Uh So that's a... I would never even be trying that in the first place. Yeah, that does happen. It's kind of funny if you're driving on a road trip and the sun hits just one spot, like through the windshield even, and then you get like a little burn on your leg. Yeah. It's just a little square. I just feel like we should be immune if we're inside that whole time. We're technically in, indoors in, in a car, so we shouldn't be getting sunburned during that. It's not fair. No. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people like uh, convertibles. They're kind of neat cars and things, but in these really hot environments, they're actually not that great because you want the you want to be covered from the sun and you want air conditioning because it's too hot in those vehicles mm-hmm. so yeah uh, always interesting when i see those people driving around i think man they got to be sweltering it's blazing <laughs> out there and plus you never you can have a bird land on you or something <laughs> you never know what's going to happen make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today top story is leading democratic congressman supports antifa by andrew miller Some, including the deputy chair of the Democratic National Committee, are stirring a college student revolt. Have you noticed? (laughs) They are. And, uh, well, even today there's a headline about this class on white racism, and the police have to be there to guard against, uh, well, I think that's kind of phony baloney. You know, they're going to guard against who? The the white supremacists that are going to descend on the university and burn it to the ground. You're just not going to find that many of those people. And uh, but anyway, they're making some headlines with that. So on those college campuses, there's a lot of classes on racism, but it's all about white racism. Mm-hmm. No, nobody else has ever never had a bad feeling about a different race. Or those same people would tell you it's actually impossible for the minorities to be racist because they've changed the definition. If you don't have prejudice plus the power to impose your prejudice on another group of people, you actually can't be racist, apparently. And so if a minority is not in a position of power in a country, it's impossible for that's them amazing. to be racist. That's an amazing way to think about that. And that's not what the, di- the dictionary definition is. They know it. But again, it's it's what they feel is the case. I think that was uh, Keith Ellison. Is he the one who he tweeted about that Antifa manifesto? He uh, saw it in a bookstore and he tweeted about it and said, this is the book that Donald Trump fears. And I saw a news host on Fox say, well, of course he would fear a book like that. It it recommends anarchy and sure. uh, a violent overthrow of the government. Of course he he would, even though he hasn't said anything about it. it, it that, that would only make sense. Well, that whole idea of, of uh, you know, having a negative view of somebody else and the power to do something about it, uh, that's a very limit that would be a very limited number of people anyway oh yeah but see everybody's lumped in well I, you know i don't i don't have the power to do anything to anybody <laughs> yeah it's not all white people that's, no, that's mean, a good point who yeah. what, what could i do i'm no different than the guy down the road now i wouldn't want to anyway obviously but i mean no. you know somebody could look at me and say yeah you're part of the problem I'm like well i didn't what did i do i don't have any power to do anything i can barely you know get my get my just uh, normal stuff done every day i'm not looking to cause <laughs> anybody else any grief it's basic common sense that Every person is capable of either loving or hating, and we have to make a choice. Um, love does manifest itself in good actions, and, and hate manifests itself in bad actions. Um, there's definitely a whole lot more evil actions out there right now at, at these college protests that you can't really call protests because 
people are violently attacking each other. That's called a riot. That's not a protest anymore, even though the media says it's only a protest. People on both sides, like President Trump said about Charlottesville, are hateful. And that's why a fight starts. That's why a fight happens, is if you have these two groups, both very hateful, coming together and they hate each other. Of course they're going to fight. And and we can't close our eyes and pretend like only the people who call who call themselves neo-Nazis are hateful. It, hate comes from any group of people. It, it could it could literally come from any person of any nation, of any race, of any ethnic background. It it it's not just a white phenomenon. Yeah, and that's a great point. If if somebody's not l- loving somebody, then they're doing the opposite on some level. And okay, so what is love? Well, it's keeping the law of God. That's what the Bible says. So if a person or a group is not keeping the law of God, you know, whether they're out there actively persecuting somebody or not, they're not showing love to other people. And, okay, so that's the biblical definition. So where does that put a lot of uh, groups and a lot of movements? doesn't put them in the right camp. It puts them in actually the, the hateful camp of hating other people. There are so many movements in the country that are clearly against the Bible. Clearly, just no question. And so what are they? Are they good? Are they showing love? You can't because you can't show love unless you keep the law of God. And when they're, uh, their whole movement is, in a lot of cases, different groups, is to absolutely destroy or go against the law of God. And then they want to sit there and tell you it's love. I mean, the Bible warns against that too. You know, Beware of the person that talks to you about freedom, but they just give you enslavement. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens if if that's sin, it's enslavement. Well, that's right. And even even the definition of hatred has been fundamentally changed. It's not just racism's definition that has changed. Hatred is now known as a- anytime you try to stand up for the Bible, like you were talking about. So if you if you dare to say there's a definition of marriage that has existed for all eternity and ought to be adhered to even in society today, uh, that's apparently hateful. If you dare to tell someone that their gender is something they were born with and don't have the right to choose, that is something that is hateful. So anything where you take a moral stand is considered hateful today because of the definition change. Uh, that's a that's a pretty difficult uh, society to live in. If, if you want to have any sort of structure, any sort of moral code in your life, you better be really quiet about it unless unless you're ready for, to face some pretty intense persecution. Right. Yep. It's uh it's really interesting. There was even on the Trump Daily today uh, a little snippet there at the end about this uh, guy over in the UK. I think it was that. He was on a he was on a talk show a while ago, and they just kept they knew that he wasn't supportive of homosexual uh, situations, oh. and they just kept pushing and pushing until finally he said, "Yeah, look, uh, I think he actually came out and said, yeah, I, I I think I don't think it's sin because of the pressure.' And now he's come out and said, "Well, actually, I do. I was just pressured, so he's kind of flip flopped a little bit there, but but it does highlight the fact that uh, I don't even think he was on that original show to even talk about it, but they want they they want you to say." you don't agree with it and you think it's wrong because then they can just open up the floodgates on Well, what's wrong with saying that? But I actually, I did think, you know, they were asking the guy, do you think it's sin? And I, I think the better answer would be, well, it doesn't matter what I think, but the Bible says it is. You know, we're not, we're not talking about the law of some guy or, you know, some opinion. We're talking about the law of God. People don't have to agree with it, but that's what it says. Don't agree with it? Well, that's your choice. God gives everybody a choice, but... You know, to try to pin somebody down on their belief, well, that's fine, (laughs) 
But really, I think that the guy should have been smarter and just said that uh, that's what God says. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't, if you have a problem, you could talk to him, I suppose. Absolutely. I mean, again, it's the Soviet Thought Patrol. They're they're trying to search out anyone who disagrees with them and persecute them. I mean, those are the most intolerant people in the whole world. They're trying to force rampant, abominable immorality on people who don't agree with it, and not people who tell them to their face they disagree with just people in their personal private personal lives who disagree with all these radical social changes they have to be hunted down and exposed now you have to go out of your way to find out what each individual person's beliefs are if if we're expected to go along peacefully with all of these different types of radical changes why can't they go along peacefully with our disagreement with it if we disagree why does it have to be that one side gets attacked for it and not the other? Why can't why can't the two sides just live <laughs> their own lives separately? If in this society, you kind of just have to coexist with with people who decide to live an immoral lifestyle. You can't go out of your way to to try to change change them right now. But obviously, God thinks it's an abomination. He's going to change it very soon. Uh, it's all in His timing, though. I have a neighbor that has a coexist bumper sticker that I see sometimes. <laughs> you see those around every once in a while. It's it's uh pretty much pretty much the last thing you can do on a physical <laughs> level. You can't you can't go on a crusade or anything. But, uh, <laughs> the uh, Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. That one of the main topics is all about money, 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 money. What's going to happen to the global economy and the U.S. economy? People are excited about the economy right now, but it, there's so much debt, as is pointed out, and there's a lot of a lot of the quote-unquote wealth is debt-based wealth, and it's easy to look like you've got a bunch uh, or for the markets to look like they have a lot, but a lot of it's debt-based, and uh, so uh, it's a really good program. You have to really do stop and think about it. We all want the economy to do well because we all want more money, of course, or we, we want to have, <laughs> have some at least. But um, when you look at the principles and then you look of, of the economy and you look at what God says about the economy and where it's going, it's not great news. Yeah, and uh, it would be nice, too, if the media would report on how maybe the economy is doing well because a businessman is in charge of the United States. I mean, again, it, it is a pretty obvious bias, um, but he, he is stirring U.S. companies to start doing more business back in America. Obviously, a side effect of that could be an overconfidence among individuals who then might make riskier investments or take out some debt because they think that this is a stable time to do so. Um, and, and obviously that's not, those are not practices that you want to have in your life at any time. You don't want to be taking out extra debt. You don't want to be putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak with your investments. Uh, but you, at least we could acknowledge that things are going better. That is one thing that this president has done well that people won't talk about. Yeah. So now, now is the time really to get a hold of finance. And that was made, the point was made there on the program, even just personal finance and there's a couple. Well, there's a book at the the trumpet.com, the financial law you can't afford to ignore. That you uh, would be great to get and to take a look at and to read, and it's free. And then also want to talk a little bit today about just some of what God thinks about money. This is uh, from a uh, article. It's at uh, the Trumpet sister website, pcog.org, uh, and the title is "Know Your Bible: Making and Managing Money." God blesses with wealth, but you must earn it and handle it the right way. And so there's really good points in this article, and it gives a lot of great scriptures that you can go and study for yourself. But uh, one of the points that's made is that God does want people to prosper. Uh, sometimes there's this idea that God wants people in poverty, and you have to take a vow of poverty and live in a 
you know, a hut somewhere and just do nothing. Uh, God, nowhere in the Bible does it indicate that. Some of the greatest men of the Bible have been some of the wealthiest. That's right. Someone, someone like uh, the patriarch Abraham, he, he had like an endless caravan of animals and servants, uh, even even soldiers. I mean, the servants became soldiers if he, if he were fighting against Egypt or something like that. So uh, it is really amazing how how wealthy some of these men in the Bible were. Job was incredibly wealthy. God never told these men, turn all your wealth over to somebody else or set it all on fire. Uh, it Clearly, God was actually happy with them, and he gave them even more physical blessings the more that they obeyed him. Yeah. Uh, God owns everything on earth. You can see that in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 14 and Psalm 24, 1, if you'd like to look at that. And the article points out that God created everything and therefore owns everything. And so some say that God is against riches. How could that be? He himself is a multi-trillionaire. I guess you can't even put a number on it. <laughs> he owns everything, so and he can make more wealth, so it does. it's, it's a never-ending uh, cycle of wealth there. Uh, but then it points out, too, that God doesn't hoard it all. He shares it. He shares what he has, and he has a desire for people to prosper. You can read about that in John 10.10 and Ecclesiastes 5.19. He actually says that in uh, Third uh, John there, too. You know, uh, He wants us to prosper above all things, be in good health and, in pro- and prosper. So God doesn't, he doesn't you know, need to hoard it all. He's got everything. He's looking to share it with people. But uh, he created all things that he might share it. And so he wants people to have wealth and to have blessings. But, of course, um, it has to be earned the right way, honestly, and it has to be handled the right way. Mm-hmm. Also, it can't be, uh, you know, God's a giver, so we can't earn it and then hoard it all. There are, there are laws that God has for wealth, but he does want us to uh, to prosper. That's right. And I guess the trend in society is actually the exact opposite, where people are taught to look at the rich and say, well, those people— must have stomped on the heads of the poor to get this money. We have to tax almost all of it. Bernie Sanders was a presidential candidate a couple years ago, and he said uh, the 1%, that was always his fallback line. You you have to take care of the 1% because they're the ones who are always oppressing everybody else. Uh, and really what we should kind of do is look at rich people and admire what they were able to do to stand out like that. Obviously, some of them are just in the field of sports or acting, but still, you have to be outstanding out at something to accumulate that kind of wealth. And those are people who are separate from God. But it is nice to see that there is a possibility like that. There are blessings out there that uh, God will allow you to have, especially uh, if you're following him and not and not just doing it your own way. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting videos out there uh, just out uh, of interviews with people that have done well and made a lot of money. I was watching one the other day and the guy was talking about, um, you know, the fact that he started out homeless for a while and, and he would go around and pick up glass bottles and turn them back in to get the money. It was in like the late seventies just to get going. And then he had some business ideas and stuff and just listening to him talk, you could tell he was just a very talented man. Mm -hmm. But he said, look, you know, I was in a really bad spot. What do you do? You either just sit there or you get busy. And he got busy. And that ties into what's talked about here in this article, too, that God says in the Bible very clearly that if, if somebody's lazy or they just don't want to work, probably going to be poor. That's just that's Proverbs twenty one seventeen. other Proverbs you can look at. 
people don't want to work, they're not going to be successful. You have to have a work ethic. That's true. And there is something to be said for the fact that anytime you see a documentary about someone's life or some sort of inspirational story, in pretty much every case, the people who are the subjects of those stories are very wealthy because they've made a success of themselves. You don't, you don't normally hear a story about uh, a middle-class person, <laughs> basically someone, someone who is, is living a life that plenty of other people are living. There are people who stand out among us, and there are fruits from that. It's, it's physical wealth because of their extra work, because of whatever they did to stand out. They earned what they got, basically. And, and there's, no, there's no reason to feel jealous about that. It's just, uh, really, it can be used as motivation. It can be used as an inspiration. The way that they persevered along the path to that physical success, uh, why, why hate that when we could just try to replicate that in, in the right ways, not, not making greed our God, but, but following God in the process? Yeah, and that's a great point there. There's, the Bible warns against lusting after money shouldn't lust after it and, you know, want it above all things. But God says very clearly, you know, if we seek him first, then he'll give us all things to whatever degree, you know, that that we can handle in this life. Uh, Even this this one video I was watching the other day about this self-made, I think he's a billionaire now, uh, he he was very generous, and that's a biblical principle as well. Be generous with your money. It actually increases wealth. Luke 6.38 talks about that, Proverbs 11.24 and 25. And in the case of this in, this billionaire, uh, he was always trying to, uh, well, now he has so much money, it's basically philanthropy for him. And it's funny because the more he helps, the more he gets. <laughs> he, just, he just keeps getting more and more and more. It, I mean, he doesn't even want people to know how much he has. It's kind of like he tried to get off the Forbes list. He said he just didn't want people to know. But, uh, but anyway, you do see some people that even though they're not, you know, obviously completely following the, the word of God, they are following some principles, and they're being blessed because of it. They're working hard. They're generous. Um, they're, uh, you know, just really following some of those basic principles. And because of that, they become quite wealthy. And those principles are built into God's law. God talks about in the Bible how if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Uh, so he does expect work ethic, and then the fruits of work ethic are obviously money you do have physical resources that accumulate because of the hard work that you put in and then god has laws about how you prioritize that money too the first tithe the second tithe you give you give the first 10 percent of your earnings to god and that's a that's a very good business partner to have it's the greatest business partner in the entire universe he could he could do so much with that 10 percent and give you back hundreds of times more just because of your generosity and then there's the second tithe for the observing the annual holy days that that he has and and uh then obviously offerings are recommended and then you have those on the holy days too giving is a huge part of keeping god's law and being a true christian too yeah there's a lot of great uh verses brought out here and and tips as well in this article it's at uh, pcog.org you can look it up on uh on finance and uh and just take a look at what god thinks about that um, know your Bible making and managing money, and there's other write-ups as well. And one final uh, piece of advice from the article is that God says we should be content with what we have. Uh, Philippians four eleven through twelve is an example. It says here's the secret of happiness. Most people at all levels of income believe they would be happier if they only had a little more money. And there's nothing wrong with trying to improve your station in life, but we have to learn to enjoy what we have at at that time. You know, no one's ever going to have everything. And if you get and if we get to be covetous, well, that never ends. 
covetous isn't like, well, once you have a billion dollars, then you're not covetous anymore. You've like broken the threshold. <laughs> it just continues. And so uh, we, we do want to improve ourselves, but at the same time, be content with what we have. That's a really, a really extremely delicate balance there because obviously you always want to strive to improve your station in life, which does bring with it more physical blessings. But at the same time, it shouldn't be like a nagging feeling in the back of your mind. Like, oh, if I just made 20 extra bucks a paycheck, that would change my entire life or whatever, whatever it is. We can ask God for something like that, but it shouldn't be something where we feel entitled or we feel like, someone someone is doing us wrong by not paying us more or whatever it might be having that type of an attitude just steals all happiness you don't want to go for wealth to a point that it's always on your mind and it's always bothering you even in the most enjoyable times of your life yep being content it's hard to do but it's uh uh just brings really a lot of happiness with it the financial law you can't afford to ignore get that at the trumpet.com and this article uh know your bible making and managing money that's at pcog.org. That's all the time we have for today here on Trumpet Radio Live. Uh, make sure you listen for the Key of David and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show <coughs> Radio show coming your way here in just a bit. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.